This is Box to Box Stoppage Time with Rob Gilbert and Derek Dyson. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box Stoppage Time. You're with Rob Gilbert and Derek Dyson, just the two of us this week for our podcast spun-off from the main show where we go through all the highlights of the past week, our teams and moments of the week and plenty more. Edge is travelling between destinations. Willem is still uh, up there at Noosa. So just you and me today, big man. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll have to talk maybe twice as long or maybe we'll just <laughs> reward everyone with a nice tight uh, edition of Stoppage Time, Rob. That sounds like a good plan, mate, or somewhere in between, I reckon. Um, so, mate, look, I'm going to – I don't think I'm going to steal your thunder because, you know, you've, uh, you're you trying to be as magnanimous as possible. Every time I try to say you've taken the lid off, you're telling me the lid is back on. So I'm, I'm not going to accuse you of that again, and, and you can't be charged with that this week because I know that you haven't chosen your game of the week uh, as the Arsenal-Villa um, six-goal thriller, uh, but I have. All right. Now, I think this, for any number of reasons, has to be the the game of the week, not least of which because it came right off the back of that loss to City, which we were previewing last week. But just the nature of the game. I mean, I, I woke up on Sunday morning and it was a feast of football highlights just going from one game to the other. And, and this one really was the, the crowning match of, of the entire lot uh, with, obviously, as anyone who's listening to this by now is well aware, there were two stoppage time goals. Uh, I mean, that uh, Jorginho shot uh, that hit the crossbar and bounced off the back of Emi Martinez's head. And then Martinelli's uh, goal, uh, well, it was the the one that um, was effectively the uh, the icing on the cake as Villa were chasing the equaliser and Unai Emery wasn't uh, uh, best pleased with uh, Martinez who who went up uh, to to try and score the the equaliser but you know the the whole nature of the story around this game and the very fact that City weren't able to get the job done at the City ground against Forest and the fact that a lot of people had sort of thought this slump is ongoing. This is Arsenal um, imploding um, just as they've got the chance to to win the title. And, and within the nature of the game itself, it uh, it not only turned around that three game run without a win, but because City lost, flipped them back to the top. So uh, I know you haven't chosen it, mate, but you must have absolutely been loving the way this whole uh, overnight series of games played out with your mob on top in the end. Got to be careful, Rob, because I'm, I'm always unconscious of how biased I am towards Arsenal, and that is one of the the uh, <clears throat> vagaries of having me on this show. But um, I try and keep my feet on the ground, and I try and keep myself balanced. And yeah, I, and unless it's an exceptional circumstance, I'm never going to pick Arsenal as my game of the week, because I just think it would be be too obvious. Uh, you know, we spoke to Art Deroche earlier in the week and he you know we were talking about how this isn't this is it now it's probably going to be like this for the rest of the series you know Arsenal have kind of given up this lead where they could kind of cruise into the title it is now going to be this up and down up and down kind of fixture uh list and and results for the rest of the season so I think it's a case of strap ourselves in and enjoy the ride and of course um with uh, and again we discussed Manchester United putting their, their hat in the ring as well. It's not necessarily a two, but a three-horse race. So, look, I think this was a good um, 
Villa was a good opponent for Arsenal in terms of trying to break this duck because, you know, I feel like they've come unstuck against teams that are kind of scrapping for their lives at the bottom of the league. They've come up against, their, obviously, their direct rivals like Manchester City. So a team in the middle who, yeah, of course, Emery wants to win against his own club, but I just wondered whether that was the kind of game that we could take. And, of course, uh, we were dominant for most of it, but when the time came, you, you mentioned the goal by Jorginho and, you know, you wonder whether that'll be that'll be a goal we look back on later in the season as, you know, a Vincent Company style turning point goal that, you know, is a brilliant strike, but obviously extremely fortunate to hit Emmy Martinez and go into the goal. It could have gone anywhere but um anywhere but in. Uh but a but a but a great result overall. So no, I'm happy with the, that selection, Rob. Yeah, and I know I've sort of bowled one outside off stump for you, but uh, as you say, you, you do try to keep a, a fairly even hand. Uh, let's see what happens later on in the season if it really starts to get exciting and uh, it looks like you might be winning it. I, I'd think of nothing better than uh, than steering the ship home of this podcast uh, in the current Premier League season than to listening to you and Edge. And I know it doesn't sound like uh, uh, the, the, the opinion of the supporter of a club who, uh, you know, is... Uh, uh, um, well, not at least this season, but usually um, sort of vying for, for that top spot. But um, but I, I just love these uh, these competitive stories and what we're seeing more and more um, than we we've seen over the past three decades or so of the Premier League season. That is a competitive race to to the title. Um, so. Um, bring it on uh, if um, if this uh, season continues to play out the way it is. Now. You didn't pick Arsenal, obviously I did. So uh, your game of the week could have picked a few, Rob. And I actually went went for uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach versus uh, Bayern, uh, the PSG Lille game from from uh, from overnight on Sunday was another cracker and four three the last minute free kick from Messi. But uh, I've gone for this win for Gladbach just because um, it extends Bayern's losing streak against this team. They've now uh, um, lost a number of games against Gladbach. It's a bit of a bogey team for them. Um, and it ended 3-2 to, to uh, Gladbach. Um, and it, yeah, five-game losing streak that they now need to slap uh, snap against them. Um, and this would have been significant um, and still was significant because even though Union Berlin only managed to draw their following game, Borussia Dortmund getting a win means that Bayern and Borussia Dortmund and Union are now all on the same number of points at the top of uh, Bundesliga. So we were talking about a uh, um, a bit of a, a crazy run in in the Premier League. Well, keep your eyes on Germany too, because uh, that that is also uh, that 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 this this Bundesliga is well on the cards, uh, being an absolute classic too. So game of the week, Rob is uh, Gladbach three, Bayern Munich two. Yeah, and look, I know you know most people who listen to this podcast and pretty much any other football podcast are, you know, well aware of the incredible atmosphere that you get at these Bundesliga matches, Bundesliga two matches. Even we watch a little bit of uh, Jackson Irvine uh, going through his paces with um, a few of his soccer teammates in in the second division of the the German uh, football pyramid, but. Watching some of these matches, if you want to watch some highlights of of, a, of an absolute cracking match with a with a ripping atmosphere at Borussia Park, watch that Wuchen Gladbach win over over Bayern. And uh, and again, we talked with Kit Holden a, a month or two ago about uh, 
the uh, the Forest Stadium home of, of Union Berlin and the, the incredible atmosphere that that brings up that stadium in the forest that uh, that uh, that just builds uh, such a crescendo around every every match. So we'll have to get uh, we'll either Kit or Raphael Honigstein on again because as you say this. Uh, this Bundesliga season is is a, a cracking one, and, uh, and and might well, as you say, rival the the Premier League season for uh, for jeopardy and excitement as the uh, the back end of the season comes together. Now, I know we talked about uh, the Matildas at length with Stephanie Brantz in the main show earlier on in the week. So if you haven't had the chance, go back and, and have a listen to that. Uh, the uh, the team of the week that I've selected, um, and it again is off the back of uh, of what we have. Uh, variously described as the line in the sand moment last year when Australia were hosting Canada in what was meant to be uh, uh, the next stage of the fine-tuning of the Matildas. Now, this was off the back of a series of really heavy losses, as we know, for the Matildas. Tony Gustafsson was under all sorts of pressure at the time. He'd he'd had it as his mantra that the only way that you become the best is to be the best, and they'd lost against a series of of highly-rated European opposition in, uh, in Europe, not uh, the least of which was the 7-0 thrashing. Admittedly, it was a second-string uh, side that he took over, and they did rest a lot of uh, the Gustafsson uh, uh, camp himself and Mel Andriata, his assistant coach, rested a lot of the, the Matildas' uh, top-flight players. But that was the, the, the rock bottom for the Matildas at the time. So they then come home and they lose to Canada twice, Canada are going to be one of our um, most difficult opponents uh, in so far as not only uh, the, uh, the the title itself, but getting out of our own group, given that they're in our group. Uh, they have since gone on after those two losses to Canada to win six straight matches. They've been Denmark, South Africa, Sweden, Thailand, Shakia, Spain. Now, the stat that I used earlier in the week was Steph, 20 goals to four. So, Derek, in any... Uh, scenario of football, whether it's club or, or national, after what the Matildas went through to get to the point where they've now put on these last six games, surely that shift in momentum only months out from a World Cup, a home World Cup at that, uh, has to give us a lot of cause for hope. And and spending most of your life in England, as you do, watching and listening to the excitement and the expectation that in England inevitably builds around a World Cup. Um, am I being unreasonable to suggest that that we might be a bolt or a dark horse that that could uh, uh, do something incredible in this World Cup at home in a couple of months' time? Well, I mean, I'm coming to this with fairly fresh um, and quite uh, quite objective eyes. I mean, I think anyone who's a you know quote unquote major force in world football who is playing the uh, tournament on their home turf should 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 be a favourite uh, for the tournament, Rob. Uh, you know, and yes, the, the form line has changed uh, recently. And as, as we spoke about in the main show, that, you know, it was a really was a great a game of two halves for the Matildas. I think they almost would have liked the floodlights to fail or something at halftime, and they could have just sort of rolled up that game and gone into the sunset. And even this second string... Spanish team managed to uh, to ask some questions. There were still some positives, of course. Goalkeeper uh, performed particularly well. Um, could have you know could have been worse. And, and and at the end of the day, they did hang hang on. And that's the sort of thing that you need to do in tournament football. So um, yeah, I mean they've, they've beaten a top ten, top eight side in Spain, albeit with the with the sort of set, the second string. But um, 
the form line is looking good, and yeah, they've got to be considered amongst the favourites to be at home. Okay, well, watch this space. I've got my tickets for, at the very least, the Melbourne knockout matches, and uh, the, the the clock is ticking, and, and uh, it'll be just interesting to see how the rest of the country builds up around uh, the hype of this tournament as, as we, we get a bit closer. But, um, you know, by this stage next week, we'll have had the Jamaica result come in, so we'll see how uh, Tony uh, Gustafsson's plan for the, 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 the hot housing of the Matildas within it, what he um, and the rest of the, the coaching squad have uh, variously described described as a, as a World Cup simulation uh, in, in the group stage. So your team of the week, my friend? Yeah, I'm going to the uh, English Championship for this one, and it's a team that we don't talk about too often on the show, and that is Middlesbrough uh, FC. They're managed by one Michael Carrick, who, of course, was an interim manager at Manchester United. Uh, we'll talk about interim managers a little later. Um, but he, he's a he's a boy of the northeast, and I think a Newcastle fan. But but you know it's all pretty close up there, and, and it make you know you can kind of make sense that this kind of legendary player from the northeast could come and take uh, one of the top sides in that area. But they um, beat uh, Queens Park Rangers quite quite comfortably in the end uh, in the in the most recent round of fixtures um, uh, under Carrick. They've uh, made it 40 points out of 54. Um, and Chubrakpov, uh, scoring the uh, goals in this game uh, for them. Uh, and he's played for Arsenal, uh, so it's good to see Chuba uh, doing his thing in the uh, in the championship. And of course, Riley McGree, uh, one of our own, as mentioned on the, in, uh, in um, yeah. Soccer Central earlier in the week. Yeah, so 3 0. Uh, that's five wins on the spin for Middlesbrough now. And they are only six points off uh, Sheffield United in second, so could be making a charge for the automatic promotion bases. I think we can all say that Burnley are gone and over the hills, and uh, that will be no reflection on the Middlesbrough season. And Middlesbrough are just one of those clubs, along with Burnley and Sheffield United, and some of the other teams up there. That you know, they're not a you know guaranteed Premier League team. They don't have any rights in terms of being in the Premier League, but of course they, they've been in the Premier League for a long time. It's a well-supported club, one-town club in a, a very fervent area of the Northeast. So the return of Middlesbrough will certainly, you know, would be a welcome, I think, to the Premier League. And, you know, Carrick's doing that on limited resources. It's a well-run football club. This isn't a a story of money being poured in. I think Steve Gibson is still the owner. He's been the owner for over two decades now. And, you know, they've got a lot to thank him for. So just thought I'd uh, give a bit of a uh, a big up to Middlesbrough and the wonderful job Michael Carrick's doing. Yep, no, nice call, mate. Okay, now, moment of the week. You normally wouldn't celebrate the reaction of a goal scorer against his old club, particularly when it was uh, a little less than humble. We know that... Uh, players around the world, historically, traditionally, um, have always chosen not to celebrate, just to dampen down their their uh, response whenever they score against their, their former club, especially when they've been a much-loved player at that former club, a, a, a big goal scorer, a trophy winner at that club. You very, very rarely see it. 
And when you do see it, often it's a spiteful response uh, because a player might have been run out of a club or they're just happy to stick it up the opposition or the fans or, or whatever. But in this instance, Bruno Fornaroli's goal for victory in the derby win against Melbourne City um, on the weekend just gone, I felt it was... Uh, cause for uh, at least celebration of a player who's given so much to, to Australian football. Uh, and he's one of those players that's brought a lot of excitement to, to the A-League, uh, particularly was when, when he was with City, stroke Hart, uh, in in, in the, the early days of his career. The Uruguayan, obviously, as we know, became an Australian citizen. He, he was picked by Graham Arnold to play for the Socceroos. Didn't quite work out uh, as we'd hoped. We'd sort of thought he might um, be the answer to some of the, the strike his problems, but uh, that second half goal of his that gave Victory the lead for the second time at Amy Park on Saturday night helped lift Victory off the foot of the table, keep their very slim finals hopes alive, and uh, and as we all know, um, he is a passionate player. Well, God, he's Uruguayan, we all know that. Um, he had that unsuccessful stint at Perth Glory when he left the city in 2019, and, and his response was super exciting, no humility after that goal, but he said in, in the post-match, everyone knows my past. And he also made the point that he wanted to thank his fans, the Victory fans, and let them know what it means to him to be a Victory player. So I thought it was good to see a player at the, the back end of his career um, celebrating um, without being too uh, nasty to the opposition, especially in a match which, as we all know from the chaos of December last year, and we did talk about this earlier in the week, um, to, to put a, a, a nice high point on, on a match uh, that was the, the repeat of, um, of one that got the headlines for all the wrong reasons last time around. Yeah, you've given me post-traumatic stress disorder thinking about former players scoring against their, their teams and they don't have to draw this back to um, Arsenal, but I do remember a certain Emmanuel Adebayor playing for Manchester City, uh, scoring against Arsenal uh, and then sprinting the length of the pitch to slide on his knees in front of the away Arsenal fans. And I think probably like you, Rob, I mean, I, I'm, I don't think I'm a fan of the players who don't celebrate at all. It's, uh, I think you've got every right to celebrate. I'm not sure if I'm a fan of the full length of the pitch knee slide in front no. of your former teammate, or your former your former fans. Um, but yeah, good on, good on Bruno. And that was an exciting... Game could have been a game of the week. Actually, it was uh, it was it was end to end stuff there. Um, my my moment of the week came in your game, Rob. And by your, I mean mm. Liverpool. We don't cover Liverpool too much on the sh- on the show anymore, just because of the uh, the uh, um, maybe the indifferent form that Liverpool have had, and you know, just Do you think your magnanimity around your own side might sort mm. of uh, be lost a little in your glee when you like to to put the slipper into to me when Liverpool aren't winning. Is that a good oh, I, don't, I, don't know if, I don't know if we've done it that much. Maybe you'll have to clip it up and let, remind me. But that we can talk about a good thing here. I suppose it was a good thing for Liverpool, a bad thing for Nick Pope in particular. <sighs> and it was his um, bizarre and really unfortunate red card um, for Newcastle. That Look, I think Liverpool had this game over Newcastle. Liverpool mm. do look like they're revving their engines again and that kind of uh, counter-attacking quick heavy metal football that um, Klopp seems to be known for over the years seems to be back. And, you know, great, great for Liverpool against the meanest defence in the Premier League. Make no mistake about that. Newcastle are, 
incredibly uh, hard to beat, but it wouldn't have been helped by the sending off of their goalkeeper, Nick Pope. And Nick Pope is a steady achiever, you know, with all of the new players that have come in, whether it be Gimaresh or, or Isaac or, um, you know, even the lad that went from uh, went, went, went from Everton uh, to Newcastle as well, as it Godfrey? Um, you know, Pope is just a quiet achiever. Uh, he seems like a really genuinely nice guy. He just made it. He had an absolute brain fart. I think he was, he misjudged the trajectory of the ball that was coming through. I think he thought he was going to get a decent head on it. Mm. By the time it got to him, it was very low. He got, he kind of got a bit of his head on it. It fell down towards his hands. And of course, I think it was Mo Salah was, mm, it was. right there. And he obviously just, in with no time to consider, just went, well, I've got to do something or else I'm going to concede a goal. He's sent off. And, um, you know, Liverpool go on and win the game. But uh, there is another Liverpool twist here because, of yes. course, this red card means that Nick Pope will be out of the League Cup final. And I, and I think, you know, you come out and kind of karate kick Salah all the best. Uh, you know, I think I think fair enough. But I do feel like a red card to keep you out of a cup final, which is kind of a moment of madness, that does feel a little bit harsh to me, I suppose. You know, you've got to draw the line somewhere, I suppose. and. The rules are the rules, but because Newcastle's second-choice goalkeeper, Martin Dubravka, uh, can't play because he's cup-tied, they're going to have to uh, rely on Loris Karius, Rob. And you know something mm. about him and uh, the 2018 Champions League final. So yeah. um, are you sorry for Nick Pope? And what do you think about Loris Karius in the cup final? Do you know what? I, I feel desperately sorry for Nick Pope um, watching that moment. It was just a clumsy moment. Some people, uh, some pundits have said that he's the, the form goalkeeper of, of the entire Premier League. So for him to miss that trip to Wembley is is heartbreaking for him. But he's a relatively young man and hopefully the pendulum for him will swing and uh, and the, 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 the gut-wrenching feeling that he's obviously going to feel right now uh, will will be replaced by some glory at some point, maybe in the next few years. I mean, Newcastle might well win the Premier League in the next few years. I think he'll uh, he'll take that. They might win an FA Cup. You never know. But the way that Loris Loris Carius went out, um, so he was one of those early um, players that um, that Jurgen Klopp brought from the Bundesliga. Um, he wanted to craft him as um, as his stopper up the back, and and he for plenty of good reasons. Uh, ought to have been the player that that Allison ultimately became. But that night, as you say, that humiliation that he had uh, in the Champions League uh, was one where Klopp just couldn't save him after that. And and he's drifted off uh, into to obscurity in, in recent years. So for him to somehow uh, do a Stephen Bradbury and 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 leapfrog Dubravka because he's cup-tied um, and be the... the, the the player that gets to play this game. Um, I, I would love to see him be the hero of, of this cup final against Manchester United. who have won plenty of trophies and and redeem himself the way that, uh, that Nick Pope might ultimately redeem himself. So so I, I'm loving the story and I hope Carrius has a great night and um, and in front of the rest of the footballing world gets to, to have his moment in the sun. Yeah, I think that's well said. Rob. I think we wish Carrius uh, well. Uh... Nick Pope, yeah, um, obviously, you know, disappointed for him. But as you said, it's uh, something you'll learn from. And, the, and as you said, the, the trajectory at Newcastle is in the right direction. Um, I think it should just be said he's have, had a fabulous season for mm. Newcastle and this shouldn't uh, go anywhere near undermining 
what what he's uh, achieved there. So, uh, are we going to move on to hot hot topic, Rob? Yeah, I think so. I'm just going to briefly toss mine in because I know you've got a good one. But I was reading the Times um, earlier in the week and uh, I love Tony Cascarino's opinions. Uh, he, he not only uh, is not afraid to express a strong one, but he, he explains them in such uh, uh, exquisite copy. He's not a prosaic style of, uh, of writer, but he just hits you right between the eyes. So he's writing about... Um, Graham Potter and Chelsea says, uh, if Roman Abramovich was still the Chelsea owner, Graham Potter would have been sacked on three different occasions. Now, this was obviously after the 1-0 loss at home to Southampton. He said it was abysmal and losing to the Premier League's bottom club is simply unacceptable. And this is obviously all after the club spent more than a half a billion pounds uh, since last summer and as he said this was the line that got me with a squad so deep that when I'm at Stamford Bridge for a game I sometimes bump into players not in the match day squad that would walk into the starting 11 of most teams in the country and he wasn't taking the P15S when he said that I think he was actually saying he actually does bump into players that should be uh, not only on the pine but actually playing uh, it's just absurd uh, that story so um, well written Tony and I do feel sorry for you Graham, especially as uh, uh, your former club is is doing so well, notwithstanding the loss they had on the weekend. But um, I think Graham Potter is not long for this world, no matter how patient Todd Bowley tries to be. Yeah, we're going to stay on the uh, hot topic of managers, and as I want to talk about interim managers, Rob. And in fact, you know Chelsea might be looking for an interim manager. I'd, I suspect Bowley has quite a lot invested in Graham Potter. I think if we did sack him now, I think it would be you know, a real climb down and a, and a potentially humiliation for him having backed him all the way. I think Chelsea are allowed to have one bad season. Uh, I think probably, I reckon they'll probably, unless something get, it gets it gets absolutely toxic and desperate, they'll try and keep Graham Potter there till next season and try and back him in over a, a summer with the players. I just wonder though with him, before we move on to my hot topic, I mean, aren't Chelsea just getting what they asked for? I mean, you know, Chelsea kind of occupy the same part of the the Premier League as at the moment as Brighton were, and uh, Graham Potter's teams were not known to be uh, renowned for their goal scoring prowess. So that should have been pretty clear to Todd Bowley uh, and the people there. So you know, Chelsea haven't been filing the back of the net. Obviously, the Aubameyang project, and I could have told you this a mile away, was never never going to happen, uh, and was never never going to work despite the odd goal that he scored. Uh, at the start, but a team like that shouldn't be struggling with, with goals anyway. There's too many, um, too many match winners in that team. But maybe there will be an interim manager, and I, I wanted to talk about them because there's a few of them about. I mentioned Michael Carrick when we were talking about Mid- um, Middlesbrough. He was an interim manager um, for Manchester United for a while, I believe, after Mourinho was sacked and before Ole Gunnar Solskjaer had kind of mixed fortunes and it is kind of mixed fortunes at the moment because Southampton, we mentioned uh, Chelsea, Southampton obviously were on the other end of that amazing 1-0 win uh, over Chelsea. Uh, Saints have already sacked two managers, were being linked with uh, Jesse Marsh and I think that would have been a pretty great, good comeback for Jesse um, if he'd got another Premier League job so quickly. But those talks have broken down because apparently Marsh has uh, uh, wanted a longer deal than was being offered. But current manager Ruben Sellers, who I, 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 I will say now I don't know very little about, apart from the fact uh, he has been a fitness coach, an assistant manager, a data analyst, caretaker manager, 
apparently he is multilingual. He's worked in Greece, Spain, Russia, Azerbaijan, Denmark, and now England. And he's doing he's doing pretty well at the moment as a as a caretaker. And it'll be interesting to see what happens at Southampton. You can point down the coast at Gary O'Neill at Bournemouth. Um, they've had a few ropey months, but I've actually managed to turn the corner in the last uh, few games and managed to get themselves out of the relegation zone over the weekend. Even the, the Spurs manager, who's in, well, Conte is recovering from his from his operation, is uh, doing a uh, doing a pretty good job as Spurs return uh, to the top four. And we did remember, Rob, we, we did talk to um, Jonathan Wilson about. The absurdity of managerial appointments in football, like if you compared it to any other profession in the world, you know, in terms of how jobs are recruited for and how people are appointed, and just all the rules are out the window when it comes to uh, when it comes to particularly Premier League um, football. But this idea of the interim may not be a bad thing, apart from when you look at Leeds United, who can't get a manager quick enough. They do have an interim manager at the moment, whose name is Michael. Skubala, and they're they're falling fast, and they missed out on getting Dyche and Everton have shown just by getting a solid pedigree Premier League manager um, can actually help turn your uh, fortunes around. So it's working for some, but not working for Leeds, who desperately, desperately need someone to come in, or else that club could have seriously serious problems. Rob, and I know that Leeds is a club that in Australia we hold close to our heart for obvious reasons. We certainly do. I think uh, Harry Kuehl, Mark Viduka, not the least of which are uh, m- memorable players for, for that great club, the Lily Whites. Well, mate, well done. Um, so much for us uh, keeping a, a tight ship on stoppage time this week um, with only the two of us. I think uh, we, we added a, an extra five minutes of, uh, of, of bonus stoppage time for, for this week's chat. Uh, I'll see you later in the week, my friend. Um, and by that stage, we should have Edge and, uh, and Willem back. Well done. Thanks, mate. Hope you've enjoyed uh, Stoppage Time this week. Please make sure you subscribe to Box to Box, uh, Stoppage Time, of course, and Offside, wherever you get your podcasts. Please tweet us at Box to Box NTS and follow us on Twitter. Make sure you like us on Facebook too and give us a lovely rating if you can and join us throughout the week as our podcasts drop and we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.